Welcome to Talk Purpose and Truth with Eden and Kim, shifting you into higher consciousness. The show that elevates, uplifts, and encourages listeners to grow, heal, awaken, and evolve. Eden and Kim include bold topics, special interviews with inspiring guests, intuitive readings, channeled messages from beyond, including celebrities, hot topics to expand your awareness, and time for questions from the audience. Tune in for unprecedented truth, authenticity, on-purpose discussions, and magical moments. Hello, everybody. It's Kim and Eden. Hi, Eden. Hi, Kim. So we're on to episode nine. How exciting is that? I can't believe it. And today is a a quite fascinating topic that we have with a really extraordinarily fascinating guest, Um, a guest homicide detective um, with some really interesting stories and crime scene experiences. So we'll be having a a cool hangout roundtable discussion with her. And so what that brought up for us is some kind of crazy stories that, that we've experienced and Eden's experienced and and probably a lot of you listeners know these these people that we're going to talk about. So we thought that would be interesting, Eden. Okay. Yeah, so I'm going to share. A, I have a story from childhood. For me, uh, it was something that affected me in such a huge way. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about Richard Ramirez. Um, I'm sure a lot of you out there have stories of your own. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, you know, those who lived in the valley. Well, and, and ironically, on the way here, because this, this studio is in Van Nuys, I, I heard the song Valley Girl. Remember that song? Yeah. And I remembered all the words. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> sorry, tangent. Yes, that's okay. Um, okay, so Richard Ramirez, he affected me. Uh, so my story with him, uh, he was... I guess killing people in the little corner houses that were yellow. And I lived in a house that was not on the corner. There was two, one house in from the corner and the house was not yellow, but I just couldn't stop thinking about him. He just consumed my mind. I had, I guess, obsessive thinking about him all the time to the point where my my, yeah, my mom, was afraid she didn't she didn't she was worried for me so she brought me to a therapist um and it helped me I just I went to one session and it helped me he kind of showed me different things I could do if I'm scared you know but um I still went home and that night I wanted to sleep with my parents and uh they had me sleep on their floor which was I guess in their eyes (laughs) good enough (laughs) it wasn't for me Um, on the floor, um, where I was, there was a glass, um, sliding glass door and I barely slept that night. And I remember that I heard a noise, probably the middle of the night. I heard a noise as if somebody was trying to open that door outside the door. Um, yeah. So I convinced myself that was him. And I, you know, to this day, I will, I will tell everyone that it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he came to my house, I believe. (laughs) And, but I also knew that he didn't go through doors that were locked. Uh So that was the only thing that that, that used to be on the news. Yeah. That was the one thing that I guess made me feel a little bit better. So I would always check the doors every night in the windows, but he only went through those windows and doors that were unlocked. 
Oh my God. So that was my little experience. Well, I had one. I had one with him too. Like, not. I wasn't obsessed, but I was very. Everyone was talking about it. We were kids and scared, and I did have a yellow house with it. He. They would say a yellow house with a burgundy car, and mm. we had that. So I'm like, oh, getting chills. <laughs> oh, <no>. You're uh, doomed. <laughs> yeah. So I was scared, and my bedroom had a window. So I'm going, oh, and so the same thing. Like I was panicking all the time, and so finally, when when he got caught, it was such a relief because everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, I also have um, something that I, a fact that I heard after years later when I was uh, taking some classes, some parenting classes, and uh, they talked about criminals um, and the psychology of the criminals, and he, they brought up Richard Ramirez, and they said that uh, when he got caught, the day he got caught, he had gone to this older woman's house, and Instead of her being afraid of him, she confronted him and she asked him one question and it was, who hurt you? And then she's brave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that just made him relax. And they ended up sitting down, I think it was at her kitchen table and they talked. It could have been for hours. And she just listened. And he talked a lot about his mom and how much she hurt him. And that's why he killed women so uh he ended up maybe being a psycho yeah well yeah yeah, there's that too (laughs) i know there's plenty of people who have issues with mom their moms but they don't kill yeah yeah so wow yeah so anyways but he ended up walking out of her house and not hurting her wow and then that's when they caught him right Mm -hmm. i remember that i wonder if she's still alive we'll have to google her oh good idea and you had that other crazy story that wasn't as long ago right with the guy in big bear that that you had a dream or something? Yes, um, I can tell you guys that one. That one's pretty interesting. Um, 2013, it was uh, a, I think he was a cop and he was killing cops and their family members. And his name was Chris Dorner. And I just want to say right now, let him stay where he is. Yeah. <laughs> We're just talking about him, not calling him in. Just want to say that. Also about Richard Ramirez. (laughs) Um, Well, he uh, was, I think he had killed a few people already, and there was a manhunt looking for him. And one night I went, or that night I went to sleep, and the news was on, and they announced on the news that there was a reward for anyone who had information leading to his capture. And I made a joke to my husband and I said, oh, I should try to channel and see if I can get information um, so we can make money. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Joking, right? <laughs> of course, it was just a joke. Um, but little did I know back then, I was actually inviting the souls in. So I went to sleep uh, and went to, um, I guess, no, in the morning I woke up and realized that I had, I felt like I traveled in my dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, two, no, three different souls came to me in the dream. And it was two males and a female, kind of young. And they kind of, they brought me to different areas of uh, like streets and, and showing me like street signs. And they actually, I felt like they were, I was flying and they showed me like the names of the streets And like I was as tall as the street street signs, like I could actually see them, Mm -hmm. you know, from um, like just right right by me, like within inches away. So 
And then um, they brought me to a house. It was first they showed me the roads and they showed me that there were a lot of trees, like kind of forest and snow. I think it was snow. Now I'm, I might be re- not remembering correctly, but I feel like they showed me what was all around this home. Mm-hmm. Then they showed me this, what looked like a cabin and made of wood and the wood color. They pointed it out to me and the way the wood was cut and just the shape of everything. And then they whispered in my ear and they said, he's in there. So when I woke up, I had no clue what that meant, but um, I felt like there was something I was supposed to tell someone, something. And then I put it together. I thought it might have been the, the guy they were looking for. Mm-hmm. So I tell my friend, um, and she <laughs> forced me to talk, talk to someone about it. She's like, you got to call the police. you got to mm-hmm. tell them. And, and I was not really interested in doing that. Two reasons. One, my grandmother, she worked with the FBI to help find missing children. Mm-hmm. It's something that I did not want to do because she did it. And I feel like it affected her in a yeah. negative, very negative way. Um, also, um, she, um, Oh no, I felt like detectives wouldn't believe me. They, yeah. don't, they don't believe psychics, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how I see it. So, but she convinced me her husband, this woman's husband was a fireman and he, his office was in the same building where they had the call center for, uh, for this case. So the husband knew who, who I was and what I do. He had a reading with me. So he believed me. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to work. If I find someone, if I come across someone that, that I could talk to about this, that I feel safe talking to about this, then I'm going to tell him. So he wasn't going to force it. So turns out he walks in the building and there was a gentleman walking the opposite direction and they were the only ones in the hallway and this man was a detective and he smiles and he s- greets this friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, he thought, okay, this might be a sign. So he ends up telling him, I have some information and it's from a medium psychic and ended up going into his office and this detective was very open to the information. He took it down and we ended up talking that night on the phone. Wow. Um, so he says to me, it was pretty late. We didn't get in touch with each other until about 10 PM. So he said, nothing's going to happen tonight. So tomorrow morning, just send me an email with all the information, every detail that you have, and I will see what I can do with it. So, um, did that about 10 AM. I send the email. I was home alone and I turned on the TV. The news was on. It was breaking news. And they they showed the actual cabin. That's what I turned the TV on is that the picture. Yeah. The picture of the cabin. Wow. That was in my dream. So, um, it scare you. I freaked out. Yeah. (laughs) So I actually, I think I was crying and I'm like, I I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So I made sure to set boundaries after that. That's how I learned actually how to set boundaries. Yeah. You'll have to close it off if you don't want it. Yes. So I had to, to work on that, um, on a personal level, but so I, had they gotten it from you or they hmm. found out? You don't even know. No, I know. What, ha- what ended, up, ended up happening was that they found him, 
I think it was probably around the same time I sent the email. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the, Big Bear, right? It was in Big Bear. Mm-hmm. And he was in that exact cabin that they showed me, you know, in the dream. Um, and all the details that I sent him from the dream matched everything. Wow. But they did not get the information from me to find him. Mm, got it. So I didn't, it just I didn't get the reward. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it probably was meant to be because you wouldn't have wanted that attention or that to handle that. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it worked it out. Right. That. It worked out the way it was supposed to. And it taught me a lesson again that I don't want this. And and uh, it, it kind of helped me to hone in on exactly what I do want. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. When I do readings, I'm very clear on I don't want anything dark or anything that I can't handle telling someone. Right. You know, uh-huh. and so it doesn't usually go too, too dark and deep, you know. Yes. It doesn't. Yeah. So, but that, that, that goes right into our amazing guest we have. And um, she is a homicide detective and a very deep, intuitive, um, grounded one. So we want to yes. hear more. So, Eden, okay. who do we have? Okay. So, Lindy, I met her probably six years ago. And uh, she came to me for a reading for the first time, you know, six years ago. And I didn't know her. And um, her name is Lindy. And I want to ask her to tell us her full name because I cannot pronounce your last name. My full name is Lindy Gligorievich. Okay. It's so tricky. <laughs> and it's nice to meet you. I haven't met you in person yet. So <laughs> this is so cool. Yeah. It's very nice to meet you too. Um, yeah. So Lindy, I'm going to just tell, tell the audience about you first. Okay. Um, so you're a former, she's a former LAPD homicide detective and she is an author of a series of books based on her experiences as a homicide detective. She starred in a five-part television series also on Discovery ID, and it was called The Killer Closer. She met her husband, a retired LAFD fire captain, during the 1992 LA riots. They live in Central California, where Lindy is the chief of investigations for the district attorney's office. She has one adult daughter, which I love, whom I love. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) Uh, And two stepchildren, and one standard poodle and two cats. How cute. <laughs> That's the family. Yeah. Okay. So we're, Thanks for being yeah, here. we're so Thank excited. You. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I would love for you to first, I guess, give the audience an idea of how you and I got together the first time and what your experience was. Well, um, I, I came to you, Eden, through my daughter, Whitney. Whitney had a reading with you first. And so um, she says, you've, you've, got, you've got to see Eden. And um, at that point, I had been out of homicide for a few years, but um, the weight of homicide, working homicide or sex crimes and in particular, that weight stays with you. And um, I had also had, my father had died and my father-in-law had died. And so there was a lot of weight is how I would describe it. And so when I went to see you, uh, those of you who have not had a reading from Eden, she has lots of rules, <laughs> and you can't tell her too much about yourself. Before we meet. Before you yes. meet. And so um, when she started doing the reading, I would say that there was some, I don't, uh, I mean, murder victims were coming through, which would seem odd if you didn't know that that's what I did for a living. Mm -hmm. And finally, I had to say, I have to tell you what I used to do for a living Mm -hmm. because um, there there just was so much uh, trauma and it wasn't necessarily my trauma. Mm. 
And um, in particular, uh, I had uh, many, well, yeah, many, many victims of homicide were women. And I didn't solve all of their homicides. And so, yeah, in particular, a murder that I, I can't solve doesn't go away. And the victim doesn't go away. And so there's one in particular that, that came through right away. Um, and I recall her, her acknowledging uh, I, that I had done my best. Mm-hmm. That I had tried wow. very hard. Yeah. And she knew I had tried. And a, another one, um, a really, really tragic uh, homicide where she was um, she was burned alive. And I, I had to assist in moving her body out of the car where she was burned. And she stayed with me. Uh, she has stayed with me. Um, because she had a son. And she had a lot to live for, and she, it, so anyway. Well, first, I want to say, <laughs> go ahead. two things I have to say. The one that you're talking about that was burned in the car, that was on one of your episodes. Yes, it was. Okay, wow. so I remember that. Um, the other thing, I want to make sure that when you say that these people came through, we got validation that it was really them. Yes. She gave details about actually the scene. Yes. And there was no doubt that it was her. No, it was things that only I would know or she would know. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that it's hard. It's very hard to explain. And I'm not going to articulate it very well. But what it gave me was clarity, and it gave me a little bit of relief and a little bit of space. Because um, at that time, I had no space. I had no boundaries, as you mentioned. Uh, it, the, the, the guilt of not being able to solve something is, is a tremendous burden. Mm-hmm. You took on a lot of responsibility. Yes. Wow. Yes. So, um, so anyway, that... And and actually, we've had subsequent sessions, and it doesn't come up anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's not that I don't think of these women, but I but I have distance from them. the The imprint of a homicide, the imprint on a homicide, obviously on the victim, on the victim's family, on on you, and you when you are talking about Richard Ramirez, this imprint of violence, it. It, it literally it imprints your your psyche, and if you can work through it and you can get some some um, some distance and you can get clarity, you can move through the pain. And that reading helped you do that. Absolutely, it absolutely wow. helped me do that. And you you getting into this field was it? Do you feel like it was a calling? Like you were that's just what you were supposed to do? Or? Um, well, it was 1985, and ironically, uh, Richard Ramirez was was um, very much present while I was in the academy. Um, there w- we had wanted pictures of him all over the place. And so that was the era that I became a police officer. And uh, yes, I do think that um, law enforcement is a calling. If it's done right, it should be a calling, a desire to serve people and to help people. Yeah, absolutely. But you, I know from, from Eden and from you know, Lindy wrote 
the introduction to our Prince book. Mm-hmm. So cause she's a gifted writer and, yes. and it felt like you knew me writing about me on there. So I was like, oh, we're connected. But uh, I know that you're also intuitive and, and you're, you've learned to be very grounded and, and maybe an empath in many ways. And so uh, what do you feel? How do you do that? Because I know personally a bunch of clients that with family members or spouses in, in that field that are in depression or having breakdowns or hate their jobs because they've been through so much PTSD and trauma, seeing things like that? Uh, well, it helps to drink. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm all about wine. <laughs> no, uh, that's a very cavalier saying, um, but uh, that is one of the coping coping mechanisms police officers have, detectives have, um, but it's not a healthy one. And so uh, I think that we're making progress as a, in law enforcement with more peer counseling and more recognition of, um, of the, like your grandmother with Mm -hmm. the, um, being in a field where she's trying to find missing children all of the time, that's relentless. And sex abuse of children is relentless and, and rape is relentless and murder is relentless. And it, 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 it is absolutely, um, a field that requires, uh, peer counselors and counselors and and people to listen. Mm-hmm. And w- we talked earlier, and it was about a lot about listening to your intuition. Well, <laughs> yes, it, for uh, for a police officer, but also for for um, the victims. For so. yes, so in the case of, um, and I cannot think of an exception. Well, there's one exception. One exception. But every single woman who was murdered that I investigated, she was murdered by somebody she knew. Mm. And so... That's freaky. Um, yeah. And many of this is a result of either marriage or dating relationships or stalkers or those types of things. And um, I've been doing this since, like I said, 1985. And I've done many, 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 many uh, community meetings with women trying desperately to get women to understand that they must listen to their gut and not override it with their brain because that first instinct is a correct one. Mm-hmm. And yes. then we talk ourselves out of it. Well, ah, that's embarrassing. Oh, I don't want to say anything. I, if you pull your car into a grocery store to go get groceries and something tells you not to go get groceries, don't, <laughs> don't go yes. get groceries. Yeah. But then we, as uh, we override that with, well, that's ridiculous. This is stupid. It's noon. It's uh, the middle of the day. Nothing can happen. Mm-hmm. We override it. And, um, and I know, I know for sure, I know for sure that the women that were murdered overrode their best instinct. Wow. Well, wow. I know that most women, I speak a lot to, to large and small audiences and I've asked the question quite often, how many of you think you're good at knowing your intuition or having an intuition. And usually about like 10% of people raise their hand. So people aren't really even in tune. They're, they're very, they, they don't let themselves go deep and start to tune in and practice that. Oh, and it does take practice. Mm -hmm. So, so I think more, I, I teach classes on that and workshops. And I think more and more women that could be something that could really help them. Right. Yes. And women, and men too. This is not exclusive to women. It's anybody who's in a vulnerable situation in a relationship. 
uh, it's embarrassing when you picked wrong or it's humiliating that you picked wrong or it, whatever the reason is that you don't want to speak up. But you've got to speak up and you've got to tell your mom, your sister, your girlfriends, somebody at work, you have to tell them, I'm in a, I'm in a situation where I think it might be dangerous. Hmm. And it's fair to say, well, what can the cops do? What will a restraining order do? Mm-hmm. And that's fair. That's a fair criticism. But you've got to go through that step. You have to involve the, the authorities as well. Yeah, well, I know because if you get a, um, what is it called, restraining order, it doesn't do anything. That's what we think. Yeah. Us civilians, we think that. Or I think a lot of women get scared that it'll make him more mad or something, you know. Mm-hmm. He's on that train. He's going where he's going, whether you've got a restraining order or not. Right. So it, this is a larger discussion about protection and and having to maybe make some significant changes in your life to avoid to avoid this person. Hmm. But statistically, I mean, you've talked about one serial killer and and one um, spree killer when you started this off, and statistically. of the homicides in America are committed by serial killers. But if we were to look in a TV guide, every TV show would be about serial killers. Mm -hmm. But that's statistically very, very rare. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's very, very common is domestic violence. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I worked for a while at a domestic violence shelter and they, some of those women were so brave because they took all six of their kids and, you know, and I remember this one family that they all spoke so well. The kids all spoke like they were like five years older than they were. So you could see the mom had done a great job and she was, she was one of the ones that had been strong enough to just take the whole family away from the, the dad who had been physically abusing her. So sometimes women can be strong enough. Oh yeah, oh, for absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. We all can. Well, yeah. Yes. Sometimes they choose. Sometimes they choose to be strong enough. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of it is is just asking for help, you know, and 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 not being afraid to look vulnerable. You know. Well. So, so is it true that that how do police officers or detectives feel about mediums? Oh yeah, I wanted to ask that too. (laughs) Well. Uh, is, shifting it, gears. is this secret information? <laughs> no. Um, the, the, the problem is, is that it's not, it's not considered evidence. And so when you're a police officer or detective, you're looking for evidence. You're, you, you absolutely have to have evidence to prove a crime. And um, what you do, what you two do, is not considered evidence. Mm-hmm. And so it gets tricky. If you were to help me, I have to generate a report. And how did I come up with this information? How did you come up with this information? Mm-hmm. And so you got to remember that um, things like a polygraph is not considered true evidence right? as, as evidence. If, uh, if a witness has been hypnotized in order to remember something, their testimony is, is, is it called into question at that point. Mm. So it's not that... I, I don't know. I, I, I certainly never did a poll, but I would say that especially when you're really, really up against it, you are looking for any help you can get anywhere you can get it. And um, and if you're open to things, you may you may 
be able to come across a medium or a psychic that can get you going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Have you used one before? Uh, one time. <laughs> not me. It wasn't not me. You, wasn't you. <laughs> it's just personal. And it was a, no, it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful, um, it was a wonderful lady who, um, we needed help finding a witness. And, um, so I thought I had, she had a fantastic reputation and I thought, well, finding a witness, this, this is not like finding the child in the well. This is just finding, finding this witness who had, who had, uh, ran off. It turns out she was not very helpful in that regard, but she did know that my partner had a bad toe and that, uh, his brother had gone up in a tree when he was a little boy and she she had a lot of information about my partner but she didn't have a lot of information regarding the homicide interesting yeah so <laughs> well i think it did, we can't choose what comes in no, for us that's true <laughs> in yeah. her defense but uh, i'm sure she felt pretty bad about it that she couldn't help yeah i think she wanted to I yeah think she, i think she wanted to but it wasn't it wasn't her day it wasn't it wasn't the right day <laughs> or the right person. Right. <laughs> right. So for you, would you say, I mean, I know Eden's told me and I've seen that you've written books and, you know, done some TV work. Besides that, I, we definitely want you to tell us about that and how we can find your books. But what's your outlets that, that keep you balanced and sane? And- oh, well, um, art, uh, art and writing for sure have kept me sane and my pets. Um, one of my best readings with Eden, um, oh, it's, let's see if I can even say it without crying. (laughs) I had the most wonderful golden retriever that ever lived and, um, she died and it was kind of a little tragic how she died. And I was going for a reading with Eden and she, um, told me that her hip, her hips hurt. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And my my Penny had very bad hip dysplasia, and um, Penny, the the best reading I ever had was my dog. Aww. She came through, and uh, <laughs> she spelled out her name. She talked about the ball, and then um, she said that Daddy needs to forgive himself because Aww. my husband had thrown a ball. And when she went to chase it, she broke her leg and we had to put her down after that. And so, um, that connection with, with my animals, uh, is, is really, really intense and very healing. I think. I agree. I had my dog come through too. Did you? Yeah. And and it was our dog that was like our baby. And the way I knew right away, it was when I barely knew Eden when we first had a reading and we had her leash sitting like by the front door still. And she mentioned it right away. She goes, the leash is by the front door. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I just got all these chills. And she yeah. was naming dogs she had playdates with. Like things, oh, crazy awesome. things that no one would know. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, Penny Penny made sure I knew that she was the best dog, the number one dog. Uh, wherever she was, so she was number one. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's still with you. I, I do feel that. <laughs> Okay, so tell us about the book, book oh, so series. The, well, I, I, I was a writer before I was a police officer, and then I didn't. I just kept notes for you know, twenty five years, and then um, when I left the LAPD, I started writing again, and so I wanted to develop a series because um, I think it's interesting the relationship between partners. 
on, on, on the job. Mm -hmm. It's a really intense relationship. And so I also thought it was interesting how men and women, police officers view police work slightly differently. So the first book is written from the female homicide detective's perspective. And the second book is written from her male partner's perspective. So if you've noticed in literature and movies, um, male homicide detectives are always recovering alcoholics or they're still alcoholics. Mm -hmm. They're divorced. Uh, they're living with a, a woman of ill repute who has mm -hmm. a heart of gold, right? But how did he get that way? So um, my character, Jack's very, at this point, very happily married with two little girls. And so I wanted to explore the pressure that working homicide actually does take on a family. And so it's a series, um, it's a, it goes back and forth between the two narr narrators, the female and the male, in different books. And a lot of it is based on my experiences as a homicide detective. Mm -hmm. But it's very, it's procedural. I would say it's a... If I'm flattering myself, it's a combination between Joseph Wambaugh and, and Mike Connolly. And then in order to promote the books, I agreed to do a um, television show for Discovery ID, um, profiling That's some awesome. of my, uh, my homicides. That was a little more difficult uh, because I, I wrestle with um, homicide being entertainment. They usually, the TV wants to do it their way, right? Yeah, but the concept of of people's tragedies being viewed through the lens of, of entertainment is a tough one for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I've, I struggled with that one. I, I think you, if you see the show, you see a lot of a very grim, grim-faced Lindy. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> I how, how can we find your books? Uh, you, Amazon. Uh, but and, what would it be? What would, oh, what's the series? Oh, uh, the first book is called Hold Fast, H-O-L-D-F-A-S-T. And the second book is Bell Lap. And so uh, Gligorievich is easy to remember, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. I tell everyone it means true love in Serbian because you have to love somebody to take on that name ah. and spell it 12 times a day. <laughs> but it's there. you can find them on Amazon. Okay. That's awesome. Well, wow, this was like profound information that I, I probably didn't know like 70% of it. So I appreciate it's really fascinating to me. And, and it's always interesting, I think, from the public's point of view, you know, some people would be like, oh, I wonder how a homicide detective will be. And you're so grounded and sweet and, and just like someone you want to go hug. Well, yeah, because I guess we're, <laughs> we see them as very stoic and it's a stereotype. And powerful, I guess, you yeah, know. right. It's kind of like Janae when Janae we had an MMA fighter here, Janae, yes. and people always think that of her, and she's like this like sweet little girl, just not when she's in the ring, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's it. That's it. I'm not in the ring, and um, and that is the that's the thing that's interesting about this is because um, when you're in the ring, when you are interrogating murderers, you're in the ring with with um, somebody who's who's committed the ultimate in, in, a, in a crime. And it could just be a drunken mistake, or it could be that the person is absolutely downright evil. Mm. Wow. Freaky. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> on whoo, that note, deep episode. <laughs> um, well, thank you all for listening. I know that all of our episodes vary, and this one was very intriguing and fascinating, and I hope you all learned a lot and got inspired to develop your intuition more. Right. So... Um, next episode, we're excited because we will be sharing uh, 
some channeling from Prince, who's called Glowing. And we actually have my dad coming on talking about a couple experiences he had related to some past episodes. So we are excited to see you in episode or hear you in episode 10. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. For more information on Eden, go to EdenSuston.com. For more information on Kim, go to KimLifeCoach.com. Make sure to follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Talk Purpose and Truth Podcast. If you loved this episode, you'll love every episode. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Thank you for listening. <laughs>